today as we are nearing the, the end of this study of this great epistle. Only a couple of more studies to go on Sunday, so so grateful to God for the truths that he's given to us. We've got married off our caboose, our third son, and uh, we've had a couple of marriages uh, in our family for the last three weeks, and they are off, and uh, we pray doing well. Thank you for your great support. I wish the venue was large enough for I have all of our faith family and friends at that event, but that wasn't the case. So uh, thank you for your great support and for your love for my boys. You, you have helped over the last 20 years nearly of raising them, and I'm, I'm certainly thankful for that. Now, James chapter 5, we're looking at verse 13 through 18 this Sunday and next. It's a powerful passage of Scripture one that is really resourceful for us so let's read it together is anyone among you suffering let him pray if anyone is cheerfully saying let him sing praise is any among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the instruction of your scripture, for the power that it brings for your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. I pray that our hearts and ears and mind would be ready to receive and walk in it. I pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I mentioned to you we're going to take a couple of Sundays to go through this passage because it is one of the most practical in ministry that we're coming around, one of the most encouraging, and at the same time, one of the most challenging passages for many. What makes this passage challenging is that on the surface, it seems that if we apply the steps, if you will, if we apply the prescription for ministry or the formula if it may be stated that way then there are promises in this passage for healing and you and I know that healing doesn't always take place let's go back to 14 and 15 because this is the center of where we're going to focus today is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So there's some outright statements in there, some conditional sentences. If you do this, this will happen. But you and I have recognized in the way that uh, we understand this passage, it is not all the way true. So that brings tension to us. The tension is simple. If the passage is a formula for making people well, then why is not everyone healed who applies the measure of the passage? 
Why are some people healed and some people are not healed? We should maybe doubt the seriousness of the person who is coming to be healed, some say. Or maybe we should question whether they have confessed all their sins to God. Or if they haven't, maybe that's why they're not being healed. Or maybe we should just question the validity of the passage in and of itself. Well, I can tell you all those tensions come and arise in the midst of the church. One of them, I am certain, is not true. The Bible, God's holy word, stands in integrity and it is not questioned at the end of our time together today I think we'll have a renewed sense of the hope that this passage gives the certainty that this passage speaks of and it will cause us to rejoice in the truth that God has given us in this passage much of the tension surrounding the passage comes from people's misunderstanding or miscommunicating or reading the passage out of its context I've seen religious cronies herald olive oil like shysters of the 18th century who peddled snake oil among the sick. Such people, if I could be so bold, are manipulators and liars, often lining their pockets with the money of the vulnerable who are in need of healing. They feed off the power that they have and the control that they have over desperate people who are seeking to be healed. But in reality, pastors and elders have a depth of love and compassion for people, and when they do, they will practice wonderful and uplifting ministry to the weak, to those who are sinful, to those who are weary, and yes, to those who are sick. I don't mind telling you that I have struggled with this passage throughout the years of my ministry wondering Lord how do I apply this how do I practice this and how can I walk with certainty in it I'm going to be a better pastor for having spent the last several days praying over and studying about and concentrating on this text I pray that all of us will be more inclined to increase in righteousness and in compassion for other people so that we too might experience the wonderful, powerful, effective ministry that Christ is offering us through this passage. But now, as I mentioned, many people misunderstand this because they miscontextualize um, the passage. So I want to go back and just remind you of where this thing starts because James has an powerful beginning and end this truth is sort of like bookended it begins in one way and it's going to end in a way and we're coming of course to the conclusion so I want to remind you where we've been this is the way the epistle starts James says to Christians who are enduring suffering to those who are scattered around the Mediterranean because of the suffering that they have endured in Jerusalem he says to them count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds so the whole letter is going to be about people who are under trial they are in intense persecution they are the weary ones they are the poor ones so count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds and here's the reason why you can be joyful about it for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness we should note that God will take any way, anything away that's temporary. He will bring a trial into anything that's temporary if it means we have eternal value and significance through the trial. 
So we should count it joyful when we have various trials because God is testing our faith in order that we might have a production of steadfastness. And when we let steadfastness have its full effect in our life, then we will be perfect, fulfilled, and complete, lacking nothing. We'll have no spiritual want, no spiritual need, because it's all being met in Christ and the, and the maturing of our life in Christ. Then verse 9 of the same chapter. Let the lowly brothers ex, uh, boast in his exaltation. This is going to be repeated in chapter 5 as well where he says, the one who is weary, the one who is sick, let him come to the elders that he may be lifted up. And who does the lifting? I can tell you it's not the pastor. It's Christ Jesus. So in this, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation and Christ will exalt us in all those scenarios. And then verse 12, the blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So there is going to be a conclusion to this. And in chapter five, there's a conclusion as well. So you have that very beginning of the letter setting all of this up. You've got the continuation of that through the letter. And now as we're ending in the final verses in chapter five, we see the same thing going on. In that context, James is telling people who are being oppressed, mistreated, and abused by the rich and powerful, he's telling them, though you are cheated now, it will not always be that way. Be steadfast. Be patient. Some of the righteous were actually being attacked. Some even murdered. And they went without resistance. In chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, Paul says to the Christians who are being mistreated, be patient until the coming of the Lord this is all going to change when the Lord comes when the Lord comes he will establish his kingdom and his kingdom is one of righteousness and justice just be patient the tables are going to turn and you will be seated with Christ he tells them not to turn against one another as they're suffering reminding them to endure the suffering patiently like the prophets and like Job Right, now, that brings us forward into the context because it's in that context that he writes this section that I read today, chapter 5, verse three, uh, 13 through 18. And what he's doing, he's continuing to treasure the mind of God's truth. He's working in this vein of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's grace for people who are enduring trouble, people who are enduring persecution and hardship it's a hope-filled message for those who are weak and vulnerable persecuted feeble lacking strength and who are poor even those who are physically sick and so he says in verse 13 if any among you suffer let him pray and if anyone is cheerful let him sing songs of praise now those are two powerful responses for living life in life there is going to be time when we suffer and there will be time that we will be celebrating and praising and the response in our suffering or the response in our cheerfulness is either prayer or praise let's just focus on those for a moment when you are suffering pray when you're facing hardship facing trouble enduring affliction pray don't grumble and complain pray he says don't seek the counsel and advice of others first pray first 
Don't postulate or plan. Just pray. That's what James is calling for them and for us to do. When we are enduring hardship, pray. Prayer must be the first response, not the last resort. No more of this attitude. Well, you know, the only thing we have left to do is to pray. No, no, let's flip that around. As the hardship begins, we pray. And as it continues, we pray all the way to the end. And what is it that you ought to be praying? Well, the prayer might be just as simple as this. is, oh, God, help me. I want to be steadfast in this persecution. I want to focus on Christ in this. I want to respond well in my suffering. I want to live out this well. I want to be more like Jesus as a result of my suffering. So during the suffering prayer moves us to rightly focus on Christ casting our attention on him why is that important because if you're enduring the hardship of the rich and the powerful and you need justice then focusing on Christ will help you to recognize that he is the just judge focus on him and when you sense that vengeance is longed for rather than you focusing on revenge focus on Christ for he alone is the avenger and when your only hope is rescue then focus on Christ for he is your rescuer once uh, Hayden our oldest son and I were moving a huge clay pot have you seen those I mean they're probably that high and that big around you can plant a tree in those things and we needed to move one uh, because we were a storm was coming through and we were fearful that that uh, might get actually knocked over and it would be broken so we thought well let's move it to the other side of the house and it was big enough that it would not be moved by one person and so I got on one side he got on the other side and we worked that thing and lifted it up and as we were picking it up from the bottom it was so big and so broad that our arms were wrapped around it in a really awkward way so we began to move it and he said hey dad it's slipping (laughs) I knew immediately we were going to be in trouble because this thing cost way way too much and it did not belong to us so I'm like oh oh, put it put it down easy 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 and as we were putting it down what I thought was easy 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 he let it drop a little too quickly and as soon as it hit you know what happened don't you the crack started from the bottom and it went all the way up right where his arm was attached to it and as I looked at that clay pot as we put it down and I looked at his arm I saw from wrist to elbow it was wide open he looked at that wound which was pretty impressive and he immediately had that panic look in his eye and I did what many a parent has done I said hey 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 look at me look at me don't look at that look at me you've got a cut on your arm and we're going to have to go get somebody to help us you just don't look at it look at me and we'll get this thing fixed in a way James is saying that to us when we're going through hardship he's saying hey 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 look to Jesus look to Jesus don't put your focus on that which is hurt look to Jesus he'll give you the direction he'll bring healing to you he will restore you prayer is that it's calling our attention to look to Jesus and it is powerful I need to remind you that 
prayer is in this arsenal that God has given to his followers. You know, in Ephesians, he talks about the, the armament of God that we can stand with, and as we have this armament on, it means that we can stand against the forces of the rulers that are evil, authorities, cosmic powers, and a whole host of spiritual forces that work in opposition to the people of God and the things of God, but that we can stand with that if we stand in the armor of God and pray. In fact, if you just go back through Ephesians 6, you'll be reminded that God has given you and me a belt of truth by which we can stand in if we wrap ourselves in truth. And if we put on the breastplate of righteousness, which <coughs> belongs to Jesus Christ, then we can stand. And we pick up that shield of faith that is able to quench the fiery darts from the enemy that comes against us. And we put on the helmet of salvation that protects our mind and our thoughts and we hold the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, all those things are so important. Our feet are shod with the readiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the armament of Christ. But it's not full until you go all the way through that passage. And as you have all that armament, including God's Word in your hand, ready to mobilize, he says, now pray. You ready yourself with the armament of God and pray at all times in the Spirit with all supplication. So, so prayer is powerful. It's effective. So if you're suffering, pray. And then he also says, if you are celebrating, if you are cheerful, then sing songs of praise. Uh, I can't help but sometimes just whistle as I'm working down the hallway or just singing as I'm going down the hall here at the offices or in my car there's just something about the joy of Christ that is so expressed in us that we have to express it verbally and here's what James says just sing that song of praise circle back to some of the songs that we sang this morning as a congregation and sing those songs unto the Lord sing aloud hum them whistle them be joyous in your song i think there's a couple of things that james is telling us in this passage as we're living life you're facing the hardships pray you're celebrating with joy sing those two things christians should be doing my understanding is those two things christians do too little pray and praise it's so effective and so important but now let's look at verses 14 and 15 again i'm reading them with redundancy on purpose uh, because i want them to settle into our thoughts is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven now i'm going to tell you again you take these two verses out of context and you will get way off track so we have to stay in the context of the whole epistle we have to know what james has been talking about we have to know where he's been building, and this is part of that. If we take it out of context, we're going to misunderstand the text, and I can tell you what will happen. You will experience doubt and disappointment and discouragement. 
And that is not James's purpose. It's certainly not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So to understand the fullness of these verses, we need to settle back a little bit and just think about the words that James has written to us and know why he has chosen certain words as he's writing the text. Let's go to this one question. Is anyone among you sick? Now, if you know the language of the Bible, uh, you've, you've done well as a student. All of us can be a student of the language of the Bible. It's a, it's a common language in the Lord's day. It's called Koine Greek, and I believe that it was written specifically or brought about specifically for the written word of God because it is so minute in its details. You can get right down to the essential messages that the author is choosing to write. It's very descriptive in its style and in its uh, vocabulary. So if we look through the New Testament, we'll find that there are six words that the New Testament has for sick. Now you and I read the words, is anyone sick? And we naturally think somebody's got COVID, somebody's got the flu, somebody's got cancer, somebody has whatever. And that is not necessarily the case in the original language of the Bible. Here's six words that get translated sick. Sick and disease, that's the most common, obviously, and which you and I would usually think about when we read the word sick. But there's also a word describing sick with fever. There is someone who is sickly in life. Um, Malon and Kilion were, were those kind of guys. They were sickly. They were puny uh, in the Old Testament. There's some who are afflicted with sickness. And number five, a word meaning feeble, weak, without strength, powerless, feebly sick. Very descriptive, isn't it? And another one, weary of soul or spirit. That's so focused on the distress or being so overwhelmed with the distress that it might even present itself in physical ways. Doesn't have to. It could be deeply seated emotional trouble to be wary. Now, why I mention these six words to you because James is using number five and number six in chapter five, verses 13 through 15. These are the words that he's using. And if you look at those words and put them into the context of the passage, it will open up to you. So reading the question in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? We tend to think, oh, somebody's got a life-threatening condition. Somebody's sick in that way. But James did not use that common word for that kind of sickness. In fact, he used a word, astheneo, which means feeble, weak, powerless, lacking strength feebly sick poor those are the words that that's the word that he used to describe is anyone in that way is anyone among you sick Astheneo. now it sometimes is used to commonly speak of sickness but most often it speaks of weakness and powerlessness and may not be precipitated by sickness for example when describing the general uh, generosity and loving and compassionate ministry that people have for other people uh, Jesus said when you do that kind of compassionate ministry to others the least of these you do it unto me let me go to Matthew chapter 25 watch these words for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And there's the word, asteneo. I was sick. I was weary. I was broken down. I was powerless. I was weakened. I was poor. I was feebly sick. That's the description. And you came to me. Now, when you look at all these characteristics, Jesus says, when you see people who are hungry and you give them food, thirsty and you give them drink, naked and clothe them, when they are weak and you visit them, when they're in prison and you come to them, when you lift them up out of their weakness, as you've done it to them, you do it to me. Because remember what the people who are listening to Jesus say this, they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When were you weak and sick and we came to visit you? He said, oh, no. When you do it to others, you do it unto me. Now, you look at every one of those descriptors, hungry, thirsty, naked, a foreigner, a prisoner, all of those people are in a weakened state. And Jesus is saying, when you show compassion to them in that state, you show compassion to me. Now, that's the same way I think James is using the word. Is anyone among you sick? Astheneo. Anyone among you weak? Anyone among you feeble? Anyone among you powerless? Pray. Pray that God will strengthen you. Pray that God will make a change in your life. It's a good way to understand that. Then verse 15 says, uh, something a little bit differently he says uh, James is using the word camno there and that word is translated sick as well it's one of those words that is only used twice in the New Testament you're not bogged down yet are you in a Greek study real quick we're almost done with this portion it's only used twice in the entirety of the New Testament one is in James and the other is right here in Hebrews chapter 12 it's a word translated from camno meaning sick consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow astheneo, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And in that same way, he says in verse 15 of James, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is camno, the one who is weary, or in the English translation, sick. So when you and I read sick, we naturally migrate to somebody's got a cold, somebody has a fever, somebody has cancer somebody has COVID-19 and that is not the context nor the words that James has chosen to use very important for us to get that in the lexicons which are like if you will dictionaries for the Greek language astheneo is weak and feeble and without strength and powerless it means to be poor it means to be feebly sick and that's what James is drawing attention to so if we take our time to study the language of the Bible and to understand the context in which verses are written, we have a better grasp on what the promises are in the Bible. It clears up the confusion as we read it. So here's what he's saying, if I could just go through these points. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you astheneo, weak, without strength, powerless, poor, feebly sick? Let him call the elders. Why would you call the elders when you alone can pray? Because there are times when you are so weak that you need somebody who is stronger than you to pray. I've been in the hospital room with people 
and you know those little tables that they have they get rolled right up on top of the bed and they'll eat off those I've been there and a Bible might be there or it might be right there at the bedside on a table and I'll make a comment about it oh have you been reading the Bible and sometimes people are absolutely honest and say something like this you know preacher I want to I just can't it's like I pick it up and I am reading but it's not registering this is not happening in fact I've been trying to pray in here and it's like the prayers aren't even reaching to the ceiling much less to heaven that's a person in that moment that cannot pray alone now they're they're called to and you and I are called to I've been in that place have you been in that place where you just feel weakened spiritually physically emotionally whatever it is where you just feel weakened and you need somebody else to come alongside that's when it's my job to say hey let me have that bible for a minute and I pick up that bible and I read it to them and I encourage them with the truth of the bible and I say oh let me pray for you and I come alongside of them and it doesn't matter what they have I might wash my hands till the next hour but I'm going to hold their hand or I'm going to put my head hand on top of their head I'm going to touch them and I'm going to cover them in prayer because in that moment they're having a hard time doing it that's what James is saying if you're suffering pray and if you find yourself weak astheneo, then call the elders because they're supposed to be strong in their faith and they're supposed to be prepared for this moment call them and they will pray the prayer of faith will save the one who is camno weak it's the only other word that it could be will save the one who is weak and the lord will raise him up what does that mean the lord will raise him up when you and I pray over an individual and we encourage them in that prayer the Lord will raise them up he will give them hope he will lift their count I, many a time I've walked out of a house or I've walked out of a room or I've walked uh, out of my office and the person say thank you so much I feel so much better you know what they're saying the Lord raised them up now everybody can have that ministry it is specifically directed in this passage to the elders and pastors but everybody can have we're going to talk about that next week how the congregation can have a great restorative ministry with just wonderful compassion for one another and how we can build each other up so i really think that this passage is spoken to three different uh, groups of people all linked together but three we're going to talk about two of them in just this moment and the next one next week first of all to the weak the lord is giving us the means by which when we're weak we can be raised up and it's just very simple pray when you are suffering don't seek counsel first don't tell anybody about your story you don't have to reach out to anybody else first the number one thing the spirit of god says to us through james is pray just pray don't worry about anybody else just put your focus on christ and in that the holy spirit is calling you to prayer and it's as if he's saying hey, 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 hey look to jesus look to jesus right now don't look at that wound don't look at that suffering don't worry about what that individual just said just look to jesus and he will help you he will get your thoughts back where they should be on an eternal perspective look to him praying in our suffering is so 
needful. It doesn't mean that you don't seek counsel. It doesn't mean that you don't tell your story. It doesn't mean that you don't have a second opinion, but you go in prayer first. And then if you are too weak, call the elders. Call your pastors. Call the ministers of this church. Reach out to your life group leader. Let us pray with you and pray for you. And even to the weak, he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be whole. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, that word whole and what that means. You know, when you hold sin, when you hide sin, it has a way of constantly being on the forefront of your life. But when you are open and transparent about your sin with a select number of people, and openly confess, and they speak God's truth into you, pray for you, hold you up in righteousness, then it makes a world of difference. So confess sins to one another in the congregation. That's one group of pe uh, people that he's speaking to. The other is to the pastors and elders. The Lord gives us the responsibility and the opportunity to minister restoratively to people. And uh, maybe you are on staff here, maybe you're a minister here, maybe you're ordained, maybe you're a life group leader. I want to just move in this direction with you for just a moment to remind you about what God has given to you as an opportunity and a responsibility to help restore people in that moment. So I would say first, be available to people. Be available to people by ready for the call. What does that mean? Well, the call of those who are leaders in the church, elders, pastors, and others, the call is to live righteously, to live rightly before God and rightly before others because righteous living is effective living. It's powerful living. So live righteously, live strong in your faith, and be compassionate towards other people. So come to your pastors, and this is the way we ought to be, ready and available for you, ready in righteousness and faith and in compassion. And we are going to pray over people, covering them in prayer. So essential that we just cover people in prayer. Uh, this morning in the first service, a lady came down, and she was just weeping before the Lord, had a significant need in her life, and it's my opportunity in that moment to just lean over her touching her praying for her in that moment because she needed somebody to cover her in prayer that's our role that's what we do it could be as simple as this holding the person's hand as you're praying for them now sure hit the sanitizer on your way out but hold their hand and love them cover them in prayer and minister as an anointing shepherd now maybe this is somewhat confusing and probably people see it differently than I do but this has been one of those things that has really troubled me throughout the entirety of my near three decades of ministry how do I do this how do I do this Lord I, I don't know and honestly I just would mimic the practice of anointing people as I saw others anointing people what does this mean? Do I, do I take this little vial of olive oil that might have some myrrh or some frankincense or some other uh, essential oil in it and just put a dot of it on the head of the individual? How do I do this? Honestly, I've struggled to do that. How, how do I do this? 
Well, I can tell you some things that um, are true about this passage that are really important to ministry. Number one, that kind of ceremonial anointing is not this word. In fact, the word that James uses for anointing has never been used ceremonially in the scripture. So I know that's not the case. It's not a dot on the forehead. It's very much different than that. It literally means to rub oil or grease on somebody. It's not medical. It's not mystical. It's very practical. The word that he uses is just rub it on people. Now, why in the world would James be talking about rubbing oil on somebody who's been persecuted, who's under hardship, or who is beaten down? Quite literally, he has already said in chapter 5, some of you are being assaulted by the rich, others even unto death, and they go without resistance. Remember that? What he's saying there, I think, very practically is, for those of you who are struggling and you are literally beaten down, go to your pastor. And with restorative care and love, let your pastor touch you. Let him apply the oil where needed. If there's a sore muscle, he will apply that oil. If there's a medicinal value to it, it's because there is fermented wine that has been mixed with the oil, and it will go on the wounds. If the, if the wound needs some, some tenderizing and some softening, then the oil will provide that. In a very practical way, he may be saying, you may physically restore that individual in this way. And I think it's more than that, but at the basic, it's that. It's the same, same thing that we do when we go in the hospital. We go in the hospital to meet somebody, to pray with somebody, and I invariably ask, what can I do now that I'm here? Do you need anything? Can I get you anything? Can I do anything for you? It's that same compassionate care. In their day, all was very much that. But it's even more than that, isn't it? It's a covering in prayer and a very practical, compassionate, restorative ministry. It may even be metaphorical. It could be that the prayer of the elder is so restorative, it would be like somebody who has been worked and massaged with the oil in the arid conditions of the Middle East. I've been there and it is incredibly dry. And maybe it's just the working of the oil on the skin after a bath. You just might rub lotion on you the same way they would rub oil. It may be the grace and hospitality gift as somebody comes into a home. You know, in the, in the Lord's Day and in James' Day, if you visited my home, I got two things that I'm going to do for you that shows hospitality, Christ-like hospitality. You know what they are? Number one, I'm going to say, come in please come in sit down let me get a basin i'm going to wash your feet and you wash the feet of the individual because the roads are dirty dusty muddy you just practically wash their feet it's part of the uh, the wonder and the care that you have in hospitality for those who are coming to your home let me wash your feet you know what the other thing i would do in the day of christ oh let me get let me get my olive oil and let me just anoint your head now i don't know about you but i don't like greasy hair do you if if 
if my hair gets greasy, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to shampoo it. In fact, when I see somebody with greasy hair, I think, you need to take a shower, and you need shampoo. <laughs> uh, but in Jesus' day, it wasn't like that. In Jesus' day, it's, come here, let me pour oil on your head. And it's going to have some perfume mixed with it. It's going to be an anointing. And it's going to be a sign of, I honor you and I love you and your greasy head. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd knows how to anoint. When the sheep have been out grazing all day and it's time to be put into the fold. You know, the fold is just a, a given area where he says, this is where we will rest tonight. This is where we'll find our refuge tonight. It may be that the shepherd has a narrow gate and he brings those sheep in one by one. You know what he's going to do? He's going to check every one of them out. And as they come through, he's going to take oil and he is going to rub it on their head. Now, the sheep are very vulnerable to insects, specifically around the ears and the nose. And he is going to anoint their head with oil all around the ears, making sure that they're of nature where those bugs don't have the greater opportunity to infect them. He's going to rub them. And where their skin might be dried out, might even be burned from the harsh conditions of the Middle East sun, he's going to apply that. And where there are wounds and the scab is hard and crusty and pulls at the skin he's going to apply that oil around that wound and he's going to make that soft and supple again and he's going to show that kind of compassion for every one of those sheep and i think that's what james is pointing to when your people are broken down to the point that they have trouble praying themselves let them come to you and just anoint them, bless them, help them, restore them, build them up. Let me elevate them by your prayer. Let me restore them to wholeness. It might be very physical or it might be metaphorical. It might be very much spiritual. Just anoint them with oil. I'm going to just say that that's a whole lot better than taking a drop of oil and putting it on somebody's forehead and think it has some kind of mystical approach. What he's saying is love on each other. Build each other up when you're weak. Restore each other. My friends, you and I can have that kind of ministry together. The Spirit of God has given us the opportunity and the means to have that kind of ministry. If you've ever needed that kind of ministry, whether you got it or not, if you've ever needed it, you know how needful that is in that moment. Now turn the tables, and you be the one to give that to somebody. You be the one to encourage them. Let's pray together. Lord, I think that uh, this text has painted the wonderful picture of Jesus who is so restorative, so caring, so compassionate. He moved to people in their woundedness and brokenness and elevated them. I don't know that there's anybody that's coming to this room who declares Jesus to be Lord 
who doesn't want the same ministry in a powerful and effective way. So help us to be righteous, to be praying people, and to take the opportunity and responsibility given to us and just love on people compassionately through prayer and anointing them that you might lift them and change them and make them whole. I pray it 